Mac Power Users, Episode 412, Catching Up with Stephen Hackett. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie. Happy New Year and all that. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's um, 2018. It is, really. We mean that. Um and uh, we thought it was a nearly time that we uh, catch up with our good pal and Relay FM co- uh, co-founder Stephen Hackett. How are you doing, Stephen? Hey, thank, thanks for having me back. I, I want to go ahead now and claim in advance episode five hundred and twelve because that that's too on brand for me not to be a part yes. of. We have to do that. We should put. I think we have the spreadsheet that goes that far out, so we should put you on the spreadsheet for five twelve. So yes. you can come back a hundred episodes from now. Um, start outlining because, you know, we do plan these shows in advance. So start thinking about what you want to say. Yeah. Perfect. On it. And what, and you can, you can podcast from your hover car when you do that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Two, two years out. I'm sure we'll be there. That's just around the corner. They keep saying. Yeah. It, well, it's, yeah, it's not that far away. Um, but it's, it's been about, you know, I think a hundred episodes since we talked to you last, we'll put a link in the show notes to your last appearance, but it, but it's been about two years now. So we figured it, it's probably about time to to catch up and and see what's what's new in your world. Yeah, yeah, when y'all invited me on, uh David mentioned how long it had been and in my mind we recorded that episode like 9 months ago. I was like, "No, I just I was just on, like nothing's changed." And then I was like looking through the show notes from last time, I was like, "Oh yeah, it has been. It has been a while. There's been a lot of change." So, I'm excited to be back. So, what's different, Stephen? <laughs> We're all a little older and wiser. Older and wiser. You're not dead. That's good. Not dead, still alive. Um yeah, you know, I, I I was sitting down thinking about that, and when we spoke last time, uh, I hadn't been independent for a year yet. Uh, it had only really been like six months or eight months or something, and uh, now, you know, I've been doing it um, over two years, and Relay has seen a lot of growth and a lot of change in those two years, and uh, I think the way that we, that Mike and I, my, my co-founder, Mike Hurley, the way we go about the business is really different, and uh, our tools are really different. So yeah, I'm excited to to get into that with y'all. Have you got to that point now where you're like, you wake up and you realize, hey, this is okay. It's working out. I'm not homeless and I'm on my own. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. You know, part of that, we spoke about this on my free agents episode, but I waited longer than I needed to. I, like I could have made the jump to independent life much sooner than I did, like just financially speaking. Um and I waited and waited and waited. And so now I have like the benefit of being indie for whatever it's been, you know, two and a half years, um, year, I don't know how long it's been, uh, time is meaningless. Um, but addition to that time that like overlapped with my last job. So like, yeah, I don't, I don't wake up, you know, at the beginning of the month worried about the end of the month anymore. Um, I know that it's going to be there and that, that things will be fine. That's a nice, that's a nice, um, amount of stress lifted from my shoulders. It's not to say, you know, it'll be that way forever, but for now at least, uh, things are, are running smoothly. And so uh, I'm definitely not worried about making the, the mortgage payment each month. If you ever figure out how not to be worried about six months from now, please let me know. That's I the need trick. That. <laughs> uh, you know, six weeks, not so bad. Six months is a little scarier. Um, but, you know, hopefully with time that that span gets longer and longer. And another area where you've had significant growth is uh, you're a big YouTube star now, I hear. <laughs> Uh, I did cross 10,000 subscribers, so that, that felt exciting. Um, of course, in, in podcasting and in blogging and in, in the YouTube world, 10, the number 10,000 means really different things. On YouTube, that's actually very very small. But um, uh, 
Yeah. So I really started that two years ago as just um, kind of as a creative outlet to do something uh, in in a a media format that I, I didn't have any experience with. You know, when I started the YouTube channel, I did very little video work really ever. And what I had done was really just kind of goofing around. And I decided this is a skill set that I should have. I want to know how to shoot and edit and, and make video happen. Um, and I have this Mac collection that people want to see. And so to me, it was like, well, I have this and I have these, these things over here. Uh, I kind of starting to put those things together. And it's really been... Really, the first two years have been experimentation in video format, in video length, how often I produce them. Every video, I'm experimenting with at least one thing. And now, in 2018, uh, is going to be the year, hopefully, if things go to plan, where I really um, can speed up the the time between releases. So I've been averaging three to four weeks between a video. You know, I'm, I'm not CGP gray, you know, uh, where it's sometimes, sometimes longer. Uh, and then sometimes do like two in a row. Um, you know, I want to have sort of a regular schedule of every two to three weeks is my goal, uh, for 2018. So, uh, I'm hoping to be able to do more of that and to, and to grow that channel into something, um, you know, uh, bigger than it is right now. The the blog Five Twelve Pixels is still bigger than the YouTube channel by a, a healthy amount. Uh, but I'd really like to see those things kind of be even. You know, where the blog and the YouTube channel share you know a similar number of audience members, and that's that's my goal this year is to increase that subscriber count. Let me. I want to make a pitch right now. Okay. Okay. Listen, okay, listener, dear listener, dear oh dear listener. Oh no, you're listening to Mac Power users, right? You're somebody who's concerned about things like menu bars, <laughs> system preferences. You probably know how much RAM was in your original Mac. There is one YouTube channel that you should follow. Oh boy. There is. It's it's five twelve pixels YouTube. YouTube.com slash five pixels five twelve pixels. Ten thousand is is a is a relatively small percentage of our audience. We we should be able to double that Mac Power users listeners. <laughs> Go out there and sign up for Steven's channel. Gauntlet Throne. No, I love it. I mean, I, I, I discovered YouTube in 2017. I, and I follow Steven. I follow saxophone players. I, I'm just a very eclectic <laughs> group. But but every time Steven puts a new video up, I love it. Because he does something really cool with some old Apple hardware. Or there's a picture of him carrying his Macs out to his shed, which always makes me giggle. Um <laughs> It, it, it really, I feel like the overlap between people who like our show and people that would connect with your channel, that, that those Venn diagrams are like a circle. So <laughs> that's, gang, that's, that's go kind, out there and sign up. It's, well, um, it's true. It's just true. I can't think of any other YouTube channel that makes more sense for a Mac Powers listener than, than yours. I think it's just a perfect medium for you because you, you've got this great hobby, this amazing hobby of collecting old Mac stuff, which, you know, I, I don't know if, um, how much the, the people in your life enjoy that hobby, but, you know, you, <laughs> you've, you've got this interesting hobby that a lot of us wish, gosh, I, I wish I just had like a shed in my backyard, uh, you know, or building that, that that's just full of like old Macs. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, you know, most of us don't have people in our lives that would allow us to have that hobby. But, but, you know, we've got our pal Steven, who's got a YouTube channel, who's got the, <laughs> the building in his backyard full of, full of like a gazillion iMacs and, and full of all these old fun things. And every once in a while, he just, he pops up and he tells us about it. Like, like when you had I the Ziggy Mac, is that what you called it? Or the tooth? I, I always called it the Ziggy Mac. I don't know why. Yeah, but the, the mo- Molar Mac. The Molar Mac. Yeah, that was one. Of, I, I had that Mac. That was the Mac that I really 
you know, cut my teeth with desktop publishing on, you know, I, that was, I loved that video. Yeah. It's, it's fun to be able to show this stuff. You know, um, I will say the people in my life tolerate it much better now that I have like a standalone studio and it isn't like in the closets of the house, right. Or like the attic's not full of Macs anymore, but, uh, it's fun to show this stuff and you can show, you can show a lot of old products and photography. And I still do a lot of that sort of like product shots and articles, but to be able to like take a camera and like look at it from different angles and show it running. So I did a video on the Pippin, which is like the super weird game console Apple was involved with in the nineties. And I got my hands on one from, uh, from a listener actually of relay and the thing worked, you know, I, I brought <laughs> my family came home and there was no TV in the den. Cause I, I like drugged the TV out to my office and I plugged the Pippin in and I played games on it and, and, you know, had commentary about how it worked and what it did. And you can hear how loud it is. Cause it has this, it, it all runs some a CD, like a CD ROM. And so it's super loud. It's like, you gotta crank the TV up way above it to hear it. And, um, that just brings that product to life in a way that pictures just can't do, right? You got to see it, you got to hear it. And, uh, and video is fun for that. So I'm, I'm having a lot of fun making this stuff. Yeah. Batman's got the bat cave. Steven's got the Mac cave. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You can have that one for free. I appreciate that. But no, I'm serious. So gang, if you're interested, go sign up because it, I, it, it is pure joy for me every time. Cause not only do you have good information, you kind of do it in a funny, silly way that, that connects with me. So. I love it. But that's not why you're here today. We want to talk real nerdy stuff with you. And one of the ongoing themes I've been hearing from uh, some of your podcasts and the rest of you nerds over at Relay um, is how much you guys are using internet automation. And I've blown hot and cold with this stuff over the years. And I would just like to hear from you what you're doing with that these days. Yeah, you know, automation is one of those things that you can spend... You can spend so much time on that you're not actually saving time like in net. So, you know, something as simple as text, as text expander, which is an app that we all love, um, it it is a type of automation, right? I am the computer is doing more work on its own than I tell it to do. And and that's really the heart of automation. It's it's having a computer or a web service or a website or something uh do work for you. Uh, that you're not directly telling it. That's all automation is, really. And that could be as simple as, as text expander or as simple as something like Hazel. Like I know, David, you're, you're a big Hazel user. You got receipts and PDFs just flying all over the place. Um, but when you apply that stuff uh, to your computer, it's powerful. But when you apply it to web services, it can be bananas, where you can have all sorts of systems and websites and services uh, talking to each other and providing information to each other without my input. Um, so I, I had a couple of, of examples that I wanted to share. Um, one of them is is looking at our sort of sales stuff on the relay side of things uh, for our advertising. Uh, Mike and I and uh, our part-time assistant, we, we do all the sales at Relay ourselves. And we have a couple systems we use for that. We use a sales tool called PipeDrive, which like, it was going to gloss right over because it's super salesy and like enterprisey and it's sort of weird that we use it, but it, it's the perfect tool for us. And that's that's what you use to manage the communications with the potential sponsors. Yeah, so it's a CRM, so we have like everyone's contact information in there and a, a detailed history of our conversations, and then we can basically attach people to deals. So we can say, hey, you know, we're working on a deal with X sponsor for this many shows over this many months, and keep all those details in there 
in one place. We used to use Trello for that, but Pipedrive A opened us up to some new automation and just better orga- better organizational tools for this sort of thing. So how did you find Pipedrive? I mean, let's go and go go there for a minute. I mean, it's because uh, there's a lot of those out there. Uh, that's one that's not one of the biggest, and that's the one you guys chose. Yeah, so we we first came up with a sort of a scope of like if we're going to use like a sales management tool, this is what we needed to do for us. You know, these are the features that we care about, and you know, some of them were just based around organization because in Trello, Trello is sort of like loosey goosey, and it's really great for a lot of types of things. But you know, we had some structured data. We need this sort of data for every contact, and Trello doesn't really offer that sort of thing. Um, and so we we needed some some structured data like you know we need this sort of contact information uh we need to be able to say hey a company may have multiple contact people right so we may work with an agency when we work with three people there and those three people may represent three different sponsors and we need to keep all that straight so we don't contact somebody at the right company but about the wrong sponsor or that sort of thing we also wanted the ability to have reminders so if you know we have an email out to a sponsor about uh, about a number of spots that are available on a show, we want to make sure that they get followed up with in X number of days. And before that, we were keeping up with that in our own task management systems. Uh, Mike and I keep separate to-do lists. Our assistant keeps her own to-do list. Uh, we don't do any shared tasks. Mike and I really dislike shared task lists. Um, but we wanted a central place where we could say, oh, gosh, you know, we meant to email them yesterday. We need to make sure we do that today. Yeah, my general experience of shared task list means nobody actually does the task. It's awful. Yeah, yeah, same. And and we didn't like, uh, or I think, I think I can speak for Mike too. He said this recently to me. Neither of us really like other people putting things on our to do list. Like we, I want to know everything that's in there. And um, if someone else has access to it, they could check something off. But I didn't see it. At least there's some confusion. Um, I think that's the one time Katie gaslighted me on the show. Because she sounded like she was being legitimate and asking me for my OmniFocus magic email. What makes you think I don't already have it? <laughs> you got to change that every six months, David. Just got to go in there and change it. I know people. <laughs> uh, I need to make an Ken, OmniFocus Ken task. gave it to me. Yeah. Every time you change it, it just, uh, I get it. <laughs> get an automated email. You got to blacklist that real fast. <laughs> you, know, you know, one of the things I'm thinking as you talk about this, I think the reason why, because I've played with some of these services and like Trello sunk with me. I mean, it's it's awesome. I, I 2017, I really picked up on Trello, but I don't work with a lot of people. I have a very small team. And one of the things I'm hearing from you is, is these, these tools are really good when you have uh, distributed labor, you know, when you've got people all over the place working on things. Yeah, I mean, there's just three of us, but uh, we have time zone differences between us, right? And so we're not always working at the same time. Mike and I actually sort of famously at this point work kind of different times from each other. Um, And we needed sort of like a a central dashboard to look at of like, okay, where is just – where is everything right now? Like here are these people I need to contact for Q1. Here are the people that we've contacted. Here are the people that we've proposed but haven't heard back from. And we can attach all these statuses and to-do items uh, based on the on the sponsor, and that really clicked for us. Uh, and so we had this big sheet, this big document of if if we're going to move to something, it needs to do all of these things. And it was actually one of the first tasks that we gave our uh, our assistant. It was like we need to find a system 
that does all this and as a bonus, one that you feel comfortable in because she was going to be spending a lot of time in it as well. And so uh, she went out and found three or four. We, you know, all these, all these sort of sales systems, they all have trial periods because it, you can't just like watch uh, their Vimeo in bed and like get it. You got to spend time in it. And PipeDrive really clicked. They have a nice looking website. Uh, they have some iOS apps that are pretty good. And it has really given us a central tool to look at all of our sales in a way that, you know, before it was like in Trello, if you updated it, but kind of also in our, in our email. And that was fine when we were small, but now that we're big, we needed something sort of more purpose built. And so PipeDrive has, has been become that tool for us. And it's really just an online relational database, but it's, but it's customized around this need. Yeah. And it, it sort of looks like Trello a little bit. You can have different statuses and columns and stuff, but it's really flexible and you can, you can customize it the way you need to. So we have some like custom fields that we put in and um, it's just a really nice centralized place. That's really what we were struggling with. Like we need one place that sort of, you know, Steve Jobs said the truth is in the cloud. Uh, for us, the truth is in pipe drive. That, that's where stuff lives. So how do you get stuff out of pipe drive? I mean, do you connect pipe drive to your other internet things? We do. So for us, and this is not going to be groundbreaking for anyone who's been on the internet in the last two or three years, but uh, we have a private channel in the RelayFM Slack called Sales Data. And in Sales Data, we have uh, PipeDrive and we have FreshBooks, which is what we use for our invoicing. Uh, they are a sponsor of Relay, um, but uh, they have been our invoicing platform since day one. And uh, what that gives me is sort of passive... Uh, like keeping me passively informed. So instead of needing to log into PipeDrive every day or log into FreshBooks every day, I know if there's a little unread thing in that Slack channel that something has happened in one of those two systems. So Mike has gone in and changed something in PipeDrive or we've closed the deal and it gets marked as completed or an a client or a sponsor logs in to FreshBooks or someone pays us in FreshBooks or we have a Stripe payment come through. All that comes in to a Slack channel that the three of us, we consider basically read only. Like we don't talk about things in that channel. Uh, so you, when you look at it, you always know you're seeing the most up-to-date information. Because if you're talking a bunch in that channel too, then the bots and the humans get intermixed and you can miss things. Uh, but it's it's a really nice way to like, I can very quickly, you know, if I, you know, I'm starting my day late, you know, and I just want to scroll up a little bit and see what, uh, what uh, Mike and our assistant have been doing, then I can scroll back and see that. And I'm caught up without having to visit three or four different websites and log into a bunch of stuff. It gives us one like central sort of, um, sort of like a, like a, just a stream of information all day long. Yeah. The ability of these cloud services to drive information into Slack, I think is something you're going to see with almost all of them at this point, because it's so useful. Totally. It totally is. And, you know, we, we have experimented with it over time. We used to have some, uh, some other stuff that we turned off cause a little, it was a little noisy and you can kind of fine tune what goes in there with some of these services, but it, it just, for, for us just having, you know, a quick glance of, Oh, Hey, this sponsor logged into fresh books. That's good to know. Or, Hey, you know, I hadn't seen the email, but I see that, that, that deal got, got closed. That's great. You know, just give somebody a thumbs up. And um, I kind of keep moving without derailing my day a, a couple times just to go in and check in on stuff. 
Now, it's interesting that you've kind of fallen off the Trello bandwagon a little bit. Is that just because it doesn't do the things Pipedrive does? Or or are you doing the Trello-type projects in other places now? Really, the majority of, of what we were doing in Trello was this sort of sales tracking. And so for Relay, at least, Trello use has basically stopped because Pipedrive just took over all of it. Um, we still, Mike and I will still use it on occasion. So right now we're working on what could be a very complicated project uh, for next fall. And we just needed a place to kind of put ideas and, you know, we could have done it in Google docs or she- or Google sheets even, but Trello was sort of a nice way of like, these are things that we need to do in all these different types of categories. These are problems we need to consider, you know, you know, this is how we think about funding this. This is how, you know, all these different things. So Trello is nice when you have data that's sort of loosely organized, but I think for us at least, we we want at some point that project will graduate out of Trello into something else where we can track things with more detail and more structure. Uh, but it, it's still sort of like a scratch pad for us of like, hey, we're thinking about this idea, or you know, we we have one um, like with our freelance designer Frank, you know, where we have. Uh, you know, these are open projects. These are products that we've closed. We have a someday list of like, hey, one day it'd be nice to fix this thing that's been bugging us, but it's not, it's a real low priority. Um, and so we kind of keep, you know, projects in there, but day to day, I'm not in Trello uh, very much anymore at all. It's really sort of just those handful of things that take me back. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by PDF Pen, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs and going paperless. I spend a lot of time looking at PDF documents. I annotate them, I read them, I redact them. That's what I do. It's how I make my living in a lot of ways. And I've done that exclusively for years with PDF Pen. PDF Pen Pro and PDF Pen is great for organizing documents in the new year. You can split and combine PDF documents to send just the right things to your accountant or your lawyer. You can fill in PDF forms, whether they're interactive or not. You can add page numbers. You can even redact account numbers or your social security numbers so you don't send information you didn't mean to. And one of the things I love about PDF Pen is that it performs OCR on scanned documents. I just have to open them in the application and then it goes right at it. It even has a really satisfying gong when it's done. PDF Pen has been a sponsor of the Mac Power Users for years, and there's just a long list of the features they've added over those years to make the application better, like the ability to automatically de-skew pages as they get scanned in, or the ability to automatically turn a PDF into a Microsoft Word document. I have baffled other lawyers with that feature now for a long time. With PDF Pen Pro, you can even add portfolios, which are collections of multiple PDFs and related items. It's great for presenting your year-end documents to your CPA, for instance. In the world today, everybody needs a powerful PDF application. So many of the most important documents that we view, no matter what our business is, are reduced to the PDF format. So get yourself a copy of PDF Pen and just check it out. It's a really great application. And if you want to learn more about it, I just did a whole series of videos for PDF Pen on the iPad and the iPhone. Head over to pdfpen.com and look at the video tutorials for the iPad version, and you'll hear my dulcet tones sharing some of my favorite features in the third version of the iPad and iPhone version of PDF Pen. It's a great app. Anyway, use the link in the show notes so they know you came from our show, and get yourself set up with PDF Pen today. 
that. Steven, you guys love to make fun of Google Sheets and Google Docs on the um, on the Connected podcast, which is one of my favorite things you guys do there, frankly. <laughs> but you also use it a lot, right? We use it a ton. So we make fun of their iOS apps because Google is really slow to update for new iOS features. And then when they do, like drag and drop, they only support it one way and not the other. They got some weird stuff going on. Or they make you do things like tap on a pencil to start typing in a word processor, which is the point of a word processor is to type. I don't, I do not understand their UI, but anyway. They could do a lot better. Um, but when it comes to collaborative documents, they have Google Docs and Sheets by far is the best thing out there. We have tried everything. We've tried I work in the cloud. We've tried Dropbox paper, which is really nice, but doesn't really do spreadsheets. It's just documents. Um, and even though we have pipe drive for our sales tool and we have our ad inventory system where hosts can log in and see the ad copy for their shows and, you know, see their inventory, um, Google sheets is sort of the glue that holds that stuff together. And when relay started, all we had was Google sheets. We didn't have a sales tool. We didn't have the inventory system. It was just a bunch of Google docs. And as we've grown, we've added these more, robust systems, but we still have some Google Sheets that we sort of live in to get big picture stuff. And uh, so we have one that is basically our entire ad inventory for the year. So when we sell shows, those deals go into this spreadsheet. And that's where we keep up with, you know, have we been paid? Have we paid our hosts? Uh, The dates that those things happened. All of that data is elsewhere. So I can go into FreshBooks and say, you know, and see, okay, I invoiced this sponsor A on the 31st and I see that they paid me on the 15th. Um, But what this Google Doc, this Google Sheet lets us do is see everybody at once. And so we can run a bunch of math on it. So we have, I'm actually going to open it. Uh, We have, you know, totals for this is how much we've booked for, uh, for each month throughout the year. And so I can very quickly see, okay, January is at this level, February is here, March is here. Okay, this is where, where June is, and very quickly see that at a glance because all those numbers are in the Google Sheet. I can, I can do math on that, which is, um, which is really powerful. And so we can keep up with what we've booked in per month. I can very easily compare it to the, the previous years, you know, multiple years now uh, of data. Um, because it's all structured. Again, what we look for is I, I need to structure this data so I can manipulate it later. Um, what is what has been new for us and 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 like spreadsheet power users are just gonna just roll their eyes at this. But we I've really gotten into the past year doing a bunch of custom formatting in Google Sheets. So uh, for instance, uh, one of the the line items on a sponsor is what I call status. So. The invoice has been sent to them via our invoicing system. Um, payment is pending. So, you know, maybe they pay us via Stripe and that takes, you know, two to three days to land in our bank account. Then I'll mark it as payment pending so I can keep up with that. Um, I can mark it as paid to relay and I can mark it as paid to our hosts. In the old system, the, the previous uh, versions of this sheet there the, the this google sheets like the matrix there have been multiple versions uh, as time has gone on well i mean they've got better right? yeah Con- and conditional yeah. formatting and all that stuff is great now totally and so now it's as simple as i can change that drop down to change the status and a bunch of different things happen uh the color of the whole line changes so i can very quickly glance and see okay 
This invoice number is in purple, so I know that is payment pending. This invoice number is in green, so I know I've paid the hosts. And depending on that status, I'm doing some totaling in different ways. So I can very quickly see across all of these invoices how much is owed to our hosts at any given moment. So right now, I, I you know, next time we pay our hosts, it's going to be X amount of dollars. And before that involved some manual calculation and some double checking. Uh, and now Google Sheets takes care of that for us based on that status. If it's available to pay out, then add it to this total over here. Um, and again, I can see, you know, month breakdown, I can do averages, I can do all sorts of stuff. I can see, okay, the time between uh, when it was invoiced and when they paid. Again, most of this data is elsewhere. Most of this data is in FreshBooks or uh, way back in PipeDrive. But with it all being in one place in Google Sheets, I can, you know, if Mike asks me, hey, how does, you know, how does April look uh, versus April of last year? I seem to remember something funny in April of last year. Can we go back and look at that? In FreshBooks, their reporting is very, very good, but I would have to go in and build a report and then export it. And, you know, I, I may need to spend a little time, you know, looking for what he's asking or what we need to provide somebody. But because it's all in a big, uh, you know, giant spreadsheet, I can just go in there. I can select all the April invoices. I can filter them however I need to, and I can get a number very quickly. And that has become, as we've gotten bigger, um, much more important to be able to, to quickly and uh, quickly get information, but know that it's accurate. Know that, you know, this Google Sheet, this formula that I've been using is doing what I expect it to 100% of the time. And um, I kind of joke that this spreadsheet is like my my greatest creation that no one will ever see because only three people in the world have have access to it. But it's so beautiful, you know, <laughs> but um, it, it really makes that day to day data upkeep and entry a lot easier. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of listening to the show that are like poets in Excel. They just do amazing things with it. And now the the problem with Google numbers is they, there's Google Sheets is it never really had the power. It had always had collaboration down, but it's only over the last couple of years that you've got the conditional formatting and the things that are allowing you to kind of work your magic in a shared shared sheet. Yeah, absolutely. And and, you know, Excel, I still use Excel for a couple of things that, you know, some, I have to download these big CSVs sometimes, and it's just the best thing out there to, to like blast through those documents. But the, again, like the sharing is so important for us because I'm not, if it was just me, this would probably be in Excel, but because Mike needs to look at it and, you know, our assistant needs to look at it and they need to add things to it and change it, even just having it in Dropbox could be problematic because you can end up with sync conflicts or you could end up, you know, sort of in a weird state. And Mike very famously works on iOS most of the time. And so Google Sheets, as kind of crummy as it is, is still better than like Dropbox and Excel on the iPad and syncing. You can, you get, can run into weird edge cases. And uh, this is was designed from the ground up for that collaboration that we that we value so highly. Uh, how much are you doing with Zapier now? If anything. Yeah, no, a bunch. So if people aren't familiar, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, you know, if this and that, IFTTTT has a lot of T's in it. Uh, Zapier is sort of uh, a more professional version of that. I sort of hesitate to say that, but it's a more powerful version of if this than that. I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> it does more. It, it allows you to make much more connections and and, and, and con- conditional, conditional rules. rules and, yeah. Yeah. The number of services they, they, I mean, I don't think I've ever searched for something and it's not there. It, it's so powerful. Um, 
so I use Zapier really for a, really a couple of things. Uh, the the sort of the public facing one is very often on a show, we will say, hey, you know, and I, I know you guys have done this as well. Um, if you want to submit a question, tweet with you know this specific hashtag, and you could run a Twitter search and keep up with that, and that's fine. But if you want again for it to be structured. Uh, we have a bunch of Zapiers that run all the time to look for these hashtags and then dump everything into a Google Sheet. And so I can I can quickly see, okay, this is the URL and the tweet itself, but this is also their username and this is their handle. So I can I can try to grasp their name without having to open a bunch of extra tabs, right? It's all just right there in one sheet. And it's it's incredible because you can go in there and you say, hey, you know, I want this bit of data in this column and this bit of data in this column. And, you know, like if this and that, it's all visually laid out. So, you know, I'm not like writing regex in a web browser. It's, it's hey, where do you want these forms to go? Where do you want these fields to fill in? And it's, it's really phenomenal um, and, and makes that sort of like data entry and collection. Again, it's automatic. It's happening in the background. I know that when I open that spreadsheet – uh, that it's going to be, you know, up to date within the last couple of minutes of what's on Twitter. And I don't have to go and search Twitter every couple of days or every week for a show. I just know, hey, if I open this document every Monday, I know that Zapier and Google Sheets have kept it up to date. And if there is an issue, they're go- Zapier is going to send me an email and say, hey, we're unable to connect or, you know, our search, something has changed. Please log in. And so I trust the system. I trust the automation to be doing its job even when I'm not looking, which is the whole point of it. Yeah. You know, the thing with all of these web services, I, I use a bunch of them. I mean, I use SaneBox. I use um, some pieces of Zapier and and some of the other services. Like we're, we're running the show out of a Google document. Um, but for some reason, I feel like this stuff really hasn't delivered on the promise. I, I, I felt like by now it would be more powerful. And to be honest, for a small operation, it really doesn't bring that much more to the table than just running it um, locally, a lot of these automations. And I, and I guess it depends on what you're doing. Like Federico and, and Mike are so iOS-centric that I think they make a lot more sense to have these cloud services, but the Mac is powerful enough. They can do a lot of this stuff right on on the local silicon. Oh, yeah. And and you, you always run into... Um you know, to services that you want to use that either don't connect or they don't quite do what you want them to do for whatever reason. Uh, and I've run into that some, and you just got to experiment or maybe tweak what you want a little bit. Um, you know, if, if Zapier were to disappear, it would not be the end of the world, but it's that it's that nicety each week that I don't have to go and remember what hashtags to search that speeds my work up. Yeah, and, and th- these are all kind of early day problems. I don't think services like Zapier are going away. I think they're only getting more powerful. But right now, it's it's the it's the wild west. And even when you get things working, there's a there's a chance that somebody will make some change in an API somewhere without you realizing it, and things will, will break. So you just got to be willing to be nerdy about it if you want to try these cloud services. But I did want to kind of hear how you're putting them to work. Yeah, the, the other big one for me with Zapier is uh, I have tasks to link to my podcast episodes on 512 pixels. So a new episode of Connected or Ingenious or Query or Liftoff, when those are published that day or the next day, I try to link to them on the blog. And I used to just have repeating tasks for that. But then, you know, sometimes shows move around or, you know, like next, uh, you know, like the week of Christmas, uh, you know, a show may take off or it, it kind of got messy all of a sudden. We're like, Oh, well this says it's due today, but the show's not coming out till tomorrow for some reason, but I have this task today. Oh no. And 
one thing Zapier can do, I think one of the more sort of one of the more powerful things it can do is Zapier can monitor an RSS feed. And that means it could do a ton of stuff. And and so what I have it doing is I have it monitoring the RSS feeds for those podcasts. And when a new item comes into that feed, Zapier sends a to-do item uh, to my task manager. And it says, hey, you know, link, colon, I pulled the title of the episode, and then I put the URL of the episode in the notes field for the task. So it's all right there in my task management app. So I don't have to go out to the Relay website and find it. You know, it's down on the homepage somewhere, or go to the show page. Again, it's putting that data where I want it to be. You know, I open the spreadsheet, all the tweets are there, I open the task, the links are there for me. Again, if that went away, I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world, right? But it's it's just something to keep my task list clean uh, until an episode is actually there for me to link to. And it's, um, it's really cool. And because it can do RSS, I mean, you can do all sorts of stuff with RSS. A lot of services, even if it's sort of buried, offer some sort of syndicated feeds. So like FreshBooks, that's how we... Um, I believe that's how we have Slack telling us updates in FreshBooks because FreshBooks has an RSS feed of your basically of your account status. So um, it's really cool. It's RSS is, can do so much stuff, um, and and that's sort of how I'm bridging the gap between uh, new episodes and then my my task manager of choice that week. I literally don't know if I would have been able to to kind of quit my job and go on this big adventure if RSS didn't exist, because <laughs> you think about it, it's the, it's the backbone yeah. of blogs and podcasts and almost everything I produce. So thank you. Uh, I forget what's his name again. The guy that did that. Uh, the, uh, Dave Weiner. Yeah. Dave Weiner. Thank you, Dave Weiner. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, Namaste. No kidding. I mean, RSS, it, I mean, it's right there in the name, right? It's simple, but it, because it's open, you can do, uh, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. That It's just a little simple XML file, but it means the whole world to me. All right. So uh, next next question for you. Next uh, mini subject. I don't want to turn it into a whole show. I don't think Katie would let me anyway. Oh, boy. I, I understand. I heard something. You know, and friends don't let friends use remember the milk. Is that in Remember the Milk? Is that in Proverbs? I missed that. Is that in yeah, the, I think so. Is that, uh, Solomon wrote that. So my, my task management situation is complicated at the moment. Um, I used OmniFocus for a long, long time, and it's still the best, probably the best task management app on the Mac and iOS in terms of what it can do. It's super powerful. Um, but I had a couple of issues with it that I struggled with. One was sort of some of the automation stuff that OmniFocus doesn't have great support for some of that. Some of that. Um, and... I needed some more flexibility in some repeating tasks that I do. The I would probably say probably 70% of what's in my task manager at any given time is a repeating task. And it's not always, you know, every Monday, a lot of them are, hey, I need to do this on the fourth of every month, regardless of what day it is. And OmniFocus can do some of that, but struggles with other parts of it. It's gotten better over time. Uh, but I was led by the hand by Federico Vitici into the Todoist lifestyle and used Todoist for a long time. It's really nice. Sync is super reliable. They have natural language processing, like Fantastical. Like once you get used to it, it's amazingly fast to enter a task. 
but it lacks a feature that I find personally very important. And OmniFocus lacks it as well, but the ability to auto-sort a list by date. So if I have a list for uh, connected, you know, hey, update the show topics, record connected, edit and release connected, reset Google Doc, those four things every week. Um, it is nice to – I like – the way I think is by is by date. So if I click on my connected list, I want those tasks and any others that I've added there. You know, So we just did a big year-end special. That had its own task, right? It had its own edit that was separate from the normal show, a separate document to update. Um, I want to see all those sorted by date. And Todoist couldn't do that unless you went into a list and you had to use a keyboard shortcut to manually sort the list by date. But as soon as you added something new, that ordering, you know, got out of sync again. And on iOS, there was no way to, to automatically sync a list. Um, remember the milk is a web tool. It's been around since like 1994. It's not that old, but it's pretty old. feels like it. <laughs> My first task, I look back because I've had the same account. My first task I checked out and remember the milk was in like 2006, which is crazy. Um, and they still have the same icon. <laughs> the, the icon is real bad. <laughs> it's a cow face. It's not great. Hey, you know, it's probably like the developer's kid that drew it or something, and now he's got to keep it. So you know. it's got to be that kid is but like now nineteen. The developer's now. kid is like a doctor. Well, so. Yeah, he's gone through college on the Remember the Milk money. So you know, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't usually preach this stuff because I, you know, we have guests on the show that use all kinds of different systems. Whatever works for you, I think, is what you should use. But you, Stephen, you're, you're a buddy of mine. I really want to take you under my wing and show you what I can do with automation and OmniFocus. I because, know. I know. Because I, I feel like you're missing out. But I, I'm, I'm not going to say anymore. I'm not going to say anymore. If only there was like a video or something that you could watch. I'm going to send you a video, Stephen. I just want you to watch. I'm sure I have a copy of it. Um, I'm not super thrilled and remember the milk. It It is simpler than anything else I've used in a while, but um, it has the natural language processing. It has automation it has the the auto the auto sorting um but what it's also given me and federico spoke about this i don't know like last month on connected because he's been using things uh things three for a while and sometimes he and i are very similar in this sometimes i needed to like take apart my whole system to like kind of see where the gunk is and uh, in moving everything, picking everything out to do us and putting it in Remember the Milk. And it's, it's probably not going to stay in Remember the Milk forever. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. But it it gave me the opportunity to really realize that, okay, the projects and like the folders and like sort of the structure of my task management, it didn't really line up with my work anymore. It was sort of a, a system that I set up two, two or three years ago. And I never really took the time to like, okay, I, I really need to think about this part of my work as its own project. Maybe it has sub projects to it now. Whereas this other thing, you know, it used to be really important, but now it's not. Maybe this project can fold into something else. Maybe I don't even do it anymore. And it's just like dead weight on the system. And so I was able to sort of clean house and, and restructure some of the things that I was doing uh, to, to make it make more sense. And I could have done that without leaving the app that I was in. But when you have to re-enter thing, everything manually one night as your spouse just, you know, shakes her head at you for the umpteenth time, uh, it's nice to like, okay, I need to really like rethink some of this and, and sort of clean things out. Yeah, but those are two different problems. I mean, I heard you guys talking about that and I was just thinking, okay, let's say you lose a pair of pliers in your house 
Now, there's two ways you could solve that problem. He's got to move. He's got to change house. One, you, one you could, um, you know, you could, uh, you know, f- dig for them wherever you think they are and come up with a new system to store your pliers. Or you could just load everything your ho- in your house in a moving truck and then drive it around the block and then slowly unpack it. And I feel like you guys are doing it the hard way, but that's just me. We are. Uh, I, I don't. I don't doubt that. And and you're you're definitely not wrong. But um. So yeah, I just I find myself in this place of flux with my with my task management, and uh, we'll see where it goes. You know, I knew that I saw this in the document. I was like, oh, I got to talk about this. But um, all right, I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drag it on. But next time you and I are in the same zip code, I would like to show you some of the stuff I'm doing because OmniFocus has some pretty cool stuff going on right now, and I don't want it to sound like a commercial. So we will stop. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. Visit Fracture.me and save 15% off your first Fracture order with the exclusive code POWER15. So Fracture is the amazing photo decor company that takes your photos and prints them directly on glass. They add a custom laser cut rigid backing, and so when you pull your Fracture out of the box, it is ready to display. You probably took a lot of photos of your family this holiday season, and don't let those just sit on your phone or languish out on Instagram or Facebook, never to be seen again. Take those photos and actually do something with them. The fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photos really pop, and the sleek, frameless design will let your photos stand out while matching any decor style. I've got a couple of dozen fractures at this point, and I've given even more as gifts, and they are always the greatest hit. They come in various shapes and sizes, so you can find a fracture to fit just about anywhere in your home or office. With fractures, you just pick your photo, you upload them to your their website, and a few days later, your handmade, beautifully crafted fracture just arrives ready for hanging. You don't have to worry about matching the mat to your background colors to your frame or any of that. The fractures are just ready to go. And of course, fractures are all handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials. And Fracture is a green company operating in a carbon neutral factory or a fractory, if you would prefer. So take some of your favorite holiday memories and get them fractured. Head on over to Fracture.me and save 15% off your first Fracture order, again, with that code POWER15. And don't forget to select Mac Power users in their one-question survey, as it really helps to support the show. Uh, Stephen, I am I'm becoming an elder uh, father, apparently. My kids are, you know, driving and telling me, what I, what, telling me what I say wrong, what I do wrong, all the things I used to do to my parents when I was a teenager. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun to check in with you a little bit because you've got smaller kids. I, I believe uh, they're all under 10, right? They are. Yeah. Nine, seven and uh, three. The little one bringing up the rear there. So I was just thinking, you know, how has with all this technology arising, uh, what's it like raising younger kids and and how you're, you're a pretty geeky guy. How are you conquering this problem? Yeah, that's that's a complicated subject because it's there's so many different ways you can, uh, you can tackle it. You know, I think my wife and I are pretty conservative in what, in the amount of tech we let our kids interact with. So there's, uh, you know, there are a couple iPads in the house that are set up for them, but they, you know, it's, it's set times they can use them. Um, they can't use them, you know, like in their bedrooms, you know, we got to kind of know what they're doing with them. Um, but, they're still young and that's going to get more complicated as they get older. In fact, just this past couple of weeks, you know, ending their, their fall semester in elementary school, uh, they started having some homework that required the use of a laptop that this, you know, this web app they're using their homework in, 
Um, I'm pretty sure it's flash based. It sure looks like it. And it just didn't, like I loaded it in the iPad browser and that wasn't there. Like, um, and so they've been using my wife's, she has a 12 inch MacBook adorable hooked up with a display and stuff. But, uh, they've been using that, you know, for after school, a couple days a week doing some spelling homework and stuff. And so I'm even thinking now, like, is the iPad not enough? Like, do we need like a, is it time to have like a family computer somewhere? Like, you know, I'd, I'd buy a Mac mini, but that's not a great option right now, uh, sadly. And so that's in my brain now too. Of like, hey, you know, are they going to need more than just an iPad to do schoolwork on? Like, what does that look like? Is it something that a Chromebook could do even? You know, do something cheaper that, you know, I'm not going to go out and buy a set of MacBooks. It'll be a, some sort of family computer or cheap Chromebooks. So kind of, I'm kind of feeling that out right now. And we'll see where that we'll see where that goes. It seems like it's it's such a hard issue now because when when we were kids, um, I know we've got a, a, an age difference between you and I and, and David, but but I had a computer from a, a fairly young age. But the difference being there was no internet, you know, and and there weren't all of all of those concerns on it. I, I don't think we really got the internet at our house. Um, I, I think at that point I was I was probably a senior in high school or maybe maybe out and at that point it was dial up and it was like you couldn't do anything hardly <laughs> yeah you know. get in trouble on dial yeah, up yeah you really you really couldn't get in a whole lot of trouble there anyway so it was the same for me you know we had um, my parents had PCs at home they they owned their own company and they kind of let us use the computer at night for like you know word processing and stuff yeah but we didn't have internet I actually didn't have I actually didn't live in a house with internet access until college in, in the dorm. Um, for in high school, the only internet access I had was at school. And so, yeah, that's totally different now. But what's really nice is as the technology has gotten advanced, so has have like the parental controls. And so I think one of the great features of iOS that people just don't talk about unless they have kids is the restrictions panel. So it's in uh, settings. I think in general somewhere there's, there's a restrictions area. And there are, I mean, I'm looking through my phone now. There are dozens and dozens of options in there. Things like you can install an app, but you cannot delete an app. You can not see the app store. You can see the app store. You can't change any settings. You can change these settings. All sorts of control that allow you to customize the experience that a child has on an iOS device. Now, you can turn them on, and then if I need to go do something, I'm just asked for a PIN code, and then I can do uh, what I, you know, what I want. And sometimes like if you disable the app store and, and you need to install something, you have to go re-enable the app store, go do your thing and then go disable it again. So there's some back and forth, but the the flexibility there is, is really, really powerful. And so if, even if you don't have kids, or you're not, in, if you're not in need of this, just go check it out because there's, it, it blew my mind how, how good it's gotten over the last several revisions of iOS. Yeah, and I'll tell you that, like, with respect to the flash-based homework thing, you know, so I've got a high schooler now, and we were just commenting the other day how her school has really matured a lot. I mean, when she was in elementary school, it was always flash-based nonsense when they did homework, whereas now it's really progressed to there's a lot of Google Docs and Google Sheet, you know, Google uh, Office-type stuff, but there's also website-based stuff, but they're not flash-based. I mean... My daughter was doing, she had some required vocabulary in one of her classes. She has to do 15 minutes of it a day. And, boy, that's another thing. Boy, it sucks for kids these days. It's like, <laughs> when they say 15 minutes a day, when I was a kid, you just had, you could have done all of it in one day. 
and been done for the week. But now the, the computer knows, you know. Yeah. Um, but but she was she's set able to do it. Back, her, set the clock back. That's all you have to do. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, no, it's because it's web based. It's not you can't even do that because you got to log into the website. But it's the always uh, watching. But the uh, but but she um she's able. My point is she's able to do it on her iPhone and iPad now. A lot of the stuff I think that the school systems are getting away from the flash tools. I think it's more common with the younger kids. Uh, because I don't think those things get as much active development, but um, a lot of the stuff for my older kids is uh, they're entirely able to do it on iOS and they do it all the time. So, so, you know, I don't think you need to go crazy upgrading your systems uh, because I'm sure that your kids are probably going to get out of it. Uh, I would guess that at least for my older kids, the the Google access to Google um, documents was the most important thing. Yeah. And it may be that I've got a couple more years of like, cutesy spelling web apps you know because all this stuff is like made made my older my oldest two are in second grade so it still looks kind of cutesy right like there's animals and characters and stuff but yeah when it's time just to write a term paper you know you're not doing that in 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 a flash-based spelling app with puppies on it um so hopefully it's it's a short-term thing um the other part of it besides the device and on device restrictions uh for me is just web filtering you know making sure that uh, my kids don't come across something that they shouldn't on the internet. And then when they're a little bit older, you know, uh, having access to some things turned off is going to be important for us. And again, that's something that it used to be really hard. You used to have to like change your DNS settings and sign up for open DNS and do all of this stuff. But now if you use something like Google Wi-Fi or Eero, you know, another relay sponsor, but a great product, uh, a lot of these systems have filtering sort of built in. And so you can go in and say, hey, uh, I want this sort of content, you know, restricted on my network. And a lot of these uh, systems, you can do it by device. And so, hey, you know, I need full access to everything on my computer for whatever reason, but I want to block these sorts of things on this iPad. And this iPad's only user, you know, is my daughter. And uh, even setting things as they get a little bit older, like time-based restrictions of, hey, this device does not have inter- internet access after 10 p.m. Or, you know, they try to do something and it's just, it's just not there. They get a little message saying, you know, go, go, go talk to your parents. Um, again, all that stuff used to be possible, but it was a lot more difficult than it is now. And and it's really gotten to a point where you don't have to be a, a network administrator. You don't have to, like, log into your router or your airport and change your DNS settings and wait for everything to reboot and flush all the caches. Like, a lot of this stuff is very simple to do from, like, even from your I, you know, your iPhone if a lot of these routers and stuff come with iOS apps to set them up. And um, for me, you know, in looking at, at that sort of thing, it's it's gotten way better. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends with kids, you know, my age, and, and I get this question a lot of how do I – make sure that, you know, certain sorts of content aren't accessible on my home network. And a lot of times we get in a conversation like, oh, how's your Wi-Fi? You know, like maybe we can solve, you know, two birds with one stone here. And uh, that's a really nice, um, it's a really nice thing to do because it, it, you don't have to worry about per device settings. You can just do it all at once and it's all centralized. So if you need to change or adapt over time, uh, you can, you can do so. And and you can do it globally. Not you don't have to do it per device, like uh, like the uh, pornography filters and stuff. I have just it goes use, using Eero Plus, and we have a lot of teenagers that come to our house. I mean, our kids are that age, and we we try to make our house. Here's a here's a tip: make your house bait for teenagers 
as they get older. That That's the smartest thing my wife and I ever did. You know, we have an Xbox, we have a decent TV. And when they come over, we feed them. We'll feed them as much food as they'll eat. And when their teenage <laughs> boys coming over, they eat a lot. <laughs> but I love the idea that the kids look at our house as the watering hole because then I get to see who their friends are. And I'm happy to give them the guest network ask access to the internet if they want to sit here and do what teenagers do with their phones. But I don't want them watching porn and that kind of stuff. So you, you, with the Eero Plus thing, it was very easy to shut it all down. And I, and, and I could have done it without buying Eero Plus. I could have also just done what I used to do uh, with the, um, what's that service? Open uh, DNS. Open DNS. But, but it's so much easier now. And now I even, I can capture their devices. <laughs> they come in and say, okay, this guy especially, lock him down. <laughs> <laughs> all you get, all you get is... Uh, like the Yahoo homepage. You're just stuck. Yeah, exactly. Reading Yahoo News. <laughs> exactly. That, that's going to turn teenagers off. I don't know what's going on. Is the internet not working? Hmm, maybe maybe we should call Comcast or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it seems like that service is getting better. I mean, full disclosure, they're a sponsor, but now you can, they'll, they'll bundle in like one password and, um, encrypt.me and those types of things in there too. Yeah, I got to figure that out because I'm paying for all of those services right now. <laughs> I, I think there's probably a way I could... If if you were in the Mac Power Users Facebook group, um, there was a thread on that recently and someone talked about how they switched over. I'll have to... I'm going to have to go look that up. But I guess the, the big question, Stephen, though, is, is you've got all these things available to you, like even just the lockdowns on iOS. It's just how do you decide how far to go with it for your kids? Yeah, you know, I don't know if there's the right answer for that. I mean, because families are different and kids are different. You know, mine are still young enough where I'm not going to impede something that they want to do that's that I view as fine, you know, by being overprotective. So I'm, I'm probably admittedly overprotective in the settings and the sort of things that we do uh, right now. But as they get older, as they're more independent, uh, that's going to be a real challenge. And I think it's going to be, you know, some some give and take and probably being more restrictive than they want me to be. And then us having conversations and, and figuring it out, you know, together, because I don't want to be a tyrant, right? I don't want them to, you know, view, you know, being in this house as, as being a bummer. Like, you know, I want them to be here. I want them to want to be here. I want them to do their homework here and that sort of stuff as they get older. Um, but again, the systems make it so easy. If I do need to make a change, you know, I can, I can go in and do that. So I feel like I'm right on the edge of needing to to think about this a lot more, you know, right now it's sort of, you know, they're really young, you know, uh, and, uh, so it's pretty restrictive. I don't want that stuff in my house anyways. And so not a problem, but you know, we'll figure it out as we go. My high school, I got up in the middle of the night recently and the light was on my high schoolers room. It was like 1am and I'm thinking, man, she must be working really hard. And I went over and knocked on her door and I opened the door and she was watching Netflix. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? It's a school night. And, um, She's like, I just really love this show. I said, look, you know, I can turn your internet off after 10 p.m. Do you want me to do that? <laughs> you know, and I didn't turn it off, but we had the discussion and it, it, it is hard as a parent because you're right. You don't want to be a tyrant, but you also know um, sometimes they need decisions made for them. It'll be curious to see how this evolves. And, you know, David, you may be beyond it at this point, but as your kids get a little older, um, you know, I mean, I, I was that kid who was a little more tech savvy than my parents, you know, you always got to stay one step ahead of them. And, uh, but then, then aren't you also a little secretly proud too, if they figure out how to circumvent you? I want to get in a tech battle with my kids really, you know, and there's the whole conversation of, well, if they have an iPhone, 
what if they just turn Wi-Fi off or like, what if they're not in the house? And then, you know, there's some other solutions for that, some on device stuff that, you know, I'm not dealing with yet because their iPads just stay in the house. They haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we'll, it'll be an evolution. I think anybody, you know, as the technology gets better, the controls get better as well. And, you know, but kids get smarter, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I expect many years of being in the trenches with this. We'll check back with you in two years. They'll be uh, yeah. 11, 9, and 5 then. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be in follow-up. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Postbox. You probably send and receive quite a lot of email. And you might want an email client that's more powerful than Apple Mail or whatever it is you're currently using. If you want a more organized inbox that does all the hard work for you, then perhaps it's time to try Postbox. Postbox is an email client for Mac that's been around for a while now, about eight years. And let me tell you, you'll have a tough time finding an email client that has as many features and customization options as Postbox. Some people think of it like the Photoshop of email clients. One of the things that makes Postbox different is the way that it handles unified inboxes. Most email clients support unified inboxes, but they lump everything into the same inbox. Postbox lets you create multiple unified inboxes, so you can say create all of your personal accounts in one inbox and all of your work accounts into another. Another useful feature is the focus pane that allows you to slice and dice your inbox into different views. It's like a lens that lets you see exactly what you want while temporarily hiding what you don't need. And other features that you'll love, including their pre-canned responses, which will save you time, anti-tracking to prevent Teskey salespeople from knowing if you've opened their messages, tagging for more powerful organization, and innovative composition tools to help you fly through your email. And it's all wrapped up in a UI that looks delightful and is really easy to use. So put an end to your email client frustrations and head over to postbox-inc.com. That's P-O-S-T-B-O-X hyphen inc.com to try Postbox today. And thanks Postbox for your kind support of Mac Power users. We alluded a little bit earlier to this uh, home studio that you, you've set up now. And I, I don't think you had that when we talked at our, our, our last episode. I, I don't think you, you've since moved into a new house. And while you've always had kind of your own setup, uh, you now truly do have a space of your own that, that is kind of your own layer. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how you've equipped it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before, um, I think uh, we had, we were, I think we were like in the process of moving when we spoke last time on the show. Yeah. You're just getting started. Cause I know you had some renovations, right? Oh yeah. It was, it was a real situation over here for a while, <laughs> but, um, the flashbacks, but, uh, part of the, the upgrade and, and moving to this house was there's a standalone garage and behind the garage, there was a standalone workshop that was built like in the 70s as sort of a, you know, woodworking sort of, you know, arts and crafts type type space. It's about 200 square feet. And I had an, a vision for like one day this will be a studio where I can record shows, have my office, have the collection. And uh, by the time I was still renting office space from somebody, so I was still out of the house a lot. And that deal, you know, the person I was... Uh, sort of like subleasing from had a change and they were hiring some staff. And so all of a sudden I found myself without an office, but this building. And so we, we renovated it and uh, I've been out here a little over a year now and it's, you know, it is my own place. I don't, uh, I tell people I don't hang out out here because I've really trained myself that if I'm, if I, you know, once I cross the threshold 
I am, uh, I'm working. It's not, you know, I'm not watching movies out here. I'm not, you know, I'm not hanging out. Uh, the kids come back here and visit, of course, but you know, we're not spending a lot of time out here as a family, uh, because it, it really is a separate place. And, and in conjunction with using an iMac as my main computer, it's really actually kind of difficult for me to take work quote home with me. I have a laptop, but most of the time it stays out here. And so when I leave the office for the day and I make the the trek back across the backyard, then I'm home and work is at work and I'm at home. And even though the distance is very short, uh, it is enough to have clear separation. You know, before I was in the situation that, that David is in where I've got a desk in my bedroom and, uh, you know, there are kids everywhere and it can be, you know, it can be difficult. And, uh, and now, you know, like, like over the Christmas break, you know, play dates and stuff and friends coming over. Um, if I, you know, was working during that time and there were other kids over, you know, they're in the house, I'm out here. And so productivity doesn't, you know, doesn't evaporate (laughs) the second someone shows up. And it's been, it's been really beneficial from that perspective, just having clear boundaries, like having sort of different mental modes that I'm at work, I'm at home because a lot of independent workers don't have that. And, uh, I found pretty quickly that I needed it. Uh, I needed to have that separation and it's been, uh, it's been nice to have. You know, I was just thinking, obviously there are things like building codes and um, ordinances and, and those types of things. And, and you had the benefit of having an existing structure that you just renovated. But something like this, particularly depending on where you live and the climate and, and how much renovations and how finished it needs to be, this could be a, a solution for people who, for lack of a better word, are really landlocked in their home and don't have additional space. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, so, you know, this building was, it was just a concrete block building when I started and we, we had to rip everything out of it. Uh, there was some drywall up we took down and we had to redo some of the roof. And of course we insulated it and I put a heating and air unit in it. Uh, like one of those like things you see like in a hotel room that is kind of heat and air all together, like under a window, have one of those in here. And, uh, so I, you know, I designed like, hey, I need. Uh, it has Ethernet run from the 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 router in the house. Actually, comes outside, like through the garage, over to the studio. So I have Ethernet out here. I, I was going to ask you that before you get too far. Did you like run a cable under the ground? Did you run a pipe under the ground? How did you how did you get that Ethernet there and protect it? Yeah. So the so the way that the the garage and the house sit, there's a covered walkway between the house and the garage. And so I was able to, to come, basically come through that walkway with the Ethernet cable into the garage. There was already some other stuff passing through. Uh, there was some power and a couple other things passing through the, between the garage and the house already. So I just followed that path that was already there, came across through the garage, and there was electrical conduit to attach the studio to the garage. Like the 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 breaker box for the studios in the garage. And there was, so there was already conduit outdoor conduit, uh, up high, uh, in between the two buildings. And I, I ran like weather rated, uh, exterior cat six cable. This cable was expensive, but I know that I'm, I'm bulletproof for a long time, both speed wise and it's rated to be outside. And so it comes on the outside of that conduit around the building and then drill through the wall into the back of the box that, it, that the, that the drop is in. And I had some help with that. Like pulling cable is at least a two person job, sometimes a three person job. Um, that, you know, that can be difficult, but if you are building something new or you're renovating most electricians at this point, 
either can do it or they have somebody that they use and, uh, and you know, they're not, you know, running low voltage is not something that you have to like do yourself in the cover of night anymore. A lot of electricians can help with it. And, um, and so, yeah, so it is connected via Ethernet because it's a long way from the house and it's it's a concrete, basically, bunker with insulation and double drywall to keep it quiet and to keep it sound insulated. And so I knew that, that wireless just wasn't going to be a great solution because I'm on Skype out here and I'm uploading video. I needed a solid connection. And so that investment was um, definitely worthwhile. And if you're looking at doing something like this, you know, you, you're going to spend a little money probably, but it makes the it makes it so much more usable. Yeah, I I don't know if you did this, but the the only tip that I would offer for someone else who wants to do something like that, if if you're going to run one wire, run two for redundancy purposes because if something happens and that wire you know gets chewed on by a squirrel or gets frayed <laughs> or gets um you know lightning or something like that, um then you at least have a backup. Now I guess you could always now use that that first wire as a pull wire to pull another one back through if you needed to. But I've only got one because the expense was so high, but um I, I actually had them I had some help. I had I had a professional cable come in and um I kind of got it to a certain point and they finished it and I so I've got pull string in like through the walkway. It's it's a terrible little place. And so I've got pull string through. So if I need to run another one, you know, within a matter of a day or two, I could, I could be back up and running. Uh, but if you run underground, you know, you're running in its own conduit, you got the space and, uh, it can be, yeah, it can definitely save you a headache in the future. Or if you end up needing two drops. So I only have one drop out here under my desk. Um, and I've got a wireless base station out here, but you know, if I needed, if I, so right now on the other side of the studio, I have a desktop computer set up for a project. And so I have another ethernet cable, like gaffer tape to the floor it's not ideal but i'm the only one out here and so i kind of wish i had a second drop but um anytime you're looking at your own office space or even if you're in an existing building and you're kind of repurposing a room think about what you may need down the road so i have way more outlets in here than i ever thought i would need and i've used them all at one point or another uh you know in fact it was a little overkill when i met the electrician so yeah i want quads this this you know this many feet apart in all these walls he's like what are you doing out here? And it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. And I'd rather have an outlet here and never use it than need one all the time. And it's not there. Um, and that made a big difference for me. Now, the other thing I, I know you've got set up, cause we, I saw this when you're at our relay meetup is you've got a lot of valuable stuff out here. And this is obviously something from your house. Um, how are you securing this location? Uh, I got big guard dogs. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, just kidding. So I've I've done a couple different things uh, over the years. I used a canary for a long time, which is kind of a kind of a self contained security camera and system and everything. Um, they they did some stuff with their service I didn't really care for, and uh, I have some other Nest cameras. And so Nest announced the Nest Protect system. So it has like a glass break and a motion sensor and a keypad, and it can actually call nine one one on its own. I'm I'm very curious, but I, you know I did not realize that was shipping. I'm, I was very curious about that, but okay. Yeah, it it came out the very end of the year, um, like right before Christmas, and it's it's a little pricey, but kind of all this stuff is. Um, and it, since uh, since we were already kind of in the Nest world, it's a big bummer Nest doesn't sp- support HomeKit, but I was in, invested in Nest already. Um, so it is its own security system, and it still does like the the home and away stuff that Nest and all these others do. Um, but it can call 911 on its own. Um, 
it, I don't currently have that enabled. I probably, I think when I set mine up, that was, that was coming soon. And I haven't checked back in on that, honestly, but it's like a, it's like a $10 a month T-Mobile thing. Um, and so it, it is, you know, it's, it's protected by that. So that thing will go off like a regular alarm. If it detects motion, the camera comes on and, uh, I've got a motion sensor in here. So if someone were to break a window or, you know, an iMac fall off the shelf in the middle of the night, the system would know that and I would, you know, I'd get a push notification and depending on what mode it's in, it would go off. Cause they, they do that. They move. It's, it's crazy. They, they get, I think they get cold and they want to snuggle together if I don't leave the heat warm enough. So, um, so I've been really happy with that, with that system. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's worked for me so far. What about your, uh, so what kind of gear are you using? Cause you're doing audio out there and you're doing video. Um, how is that? Because last time we talked, I remember you were kind of weighing how much money you're going to spend setting all this stuff up. Uh, where'd you end up? I spent too much money. <laughs> what, what I think the answer was going to be. Um, my audio my audio system, my audio podcasting rig has been stable for a long time. Um, there'll be some links in the show notes, but I'm using a Shure 87A microphone with a USB Pre 2 uh interface that gets the XLR microphone into USB for the computer to record it. Uh, I have, so I have a, a, a link, a page on my website, 512pixels.net slash gear. Why have, I have recommendations that are more affordable because the USB pre two is very expensive. Um, I need flexibility because we do live events and I use it for that. And so I spent more than what almost anyone else, anyone ever should on this stuff. Yeah. If, if somebody's listening, this is, a, this is an interesting question because um, if you have an XLR microphone, which I have and you have, Katie, you're, Katie's using a direct to USB. She's got the practical mic. Um, but the um, but most XLR microphones, you have to put them into a, a preamp. And most preamps, I think a, an average preamp is around two to 300 bucks. And then there's this one, the USB pre, which is like 800 bucks if you want to <laughs> yeah. buy it. And uh, even mine, you know, I have a good one from Yamaha, but I'm like pegging it. You know, if you look at it, I've got the amplification turned up to like 10 to get enough preamp out of this thing to do our show. And um, and when I saw your USB pre when we were uh, roommates together last year at WWC mm-hmm. in the commune, it was... uh, <laughs> uh, I was really impressed with that because you didn't have it turned up to 10. And, uh, and I, I believe it does a pretty good job, which is about any mic. If somebody's out there listening, what what's the what's the tipping point for you between getting the two to three hundred dollar one and the eight hundred dollar one? My, so what a lot of our hosts use is this the microphone I'm using, the Shure eighty seven A. Um I like this mic because and I have tried I don't know how many over the years. Yeah, it's the same mic I use too. Yeah. On this mic I, I come out sounding the way I sound to myself. It's it's like the clearest representation of how I think I sound. Um, whether that's a good judge or not of a microphone, I don't actually know, but it, that's what works for me. Uh, the, there's a, a product by Tascam called the US 2x2, um, and it can drive this microphone with, uh, with no problem. It, is, uh, it has enough power to, to make this microphone uh, record, you know, have enough signal basically to record it nicely. Um, and that's a great combination, you know, all in, you're going to be like 400 bucks, but, uh, for like a nice middle of the road system, uh, it's pretty nice. You know, I think if you're getting a situation where you use this device for more than one thing, then something like the USB pre 
is is a lot more flexible. So I use it in this configuration where it's basically my microphone and a mute switch plugged into my iMac. That's how I'm using it, you know, 48 weeks a year. But those four weeks a year where we're doing live events, I use it in a different configuration because it has all these inputs and outputs and knobs. I mean, the thing is just like covered in buttons and it gives me the flexibility that I need out, you know, if we're doing a show, you know, live in a conference center in a hotel, right? And, or if we're doing shows around the table of an Airbnb during WWDC and we need to live stream them and record them locally, this product gives me enough flexibility. But most people don't have that need. And so something like the Tascam 2x2 can be a really nice, uh, a really nice way to move to a higher quality XLR microphone, but without spending, you know, a thousand dollars. But yeah, but for me, I, I've always felt like the the big advantage of the pre is also just it's just more powerful. I mean, it can drive a mic a lot better than most of the cheaper ones can. Absolutely, and and really, if, if that's that's a little like confusing to talk about. Really, what we're talking about is it it has enough enough. If you think about it as sort of like bandwidth, that's not a, a perfect analogy, but it has enough. It can push enough signal where the the microphone actually works. So these microphones, they because they do such a good job at noise canceling. I and mean, if I talk off axis, it doesn't hear me. But one trade off there is that it requires a lot of signal to actually record at a at a volume that's usable to to edit a podcast with. You know, if if you have something that can't drive it, then the the recorded file is very quiet, and that can be really problematic. Um, so I haven't used anything the pre two can't drive. I mean, on the 87A that, that I use and that you use, I mean, my input right now is at like, you know, maybe 55%, if that. I mean, I can make it way louder if I need to. And I'm, you know, it's a good range. I'm not peaking it, but I've got plenty of signal. And uh, it's it's really great. But if you're looking to to move to XLR, for almost anybody, the Tascam 2x2 is what I recommend. We have a lot of hosts who use that combination, and I've been really happy with it. Yeah, see, mine's at ninety five percent now. Yeah, just yeah, to, it's pretty close to the, to the edge, and and it and it is a little quiet. I, one of these days, I'm gonna like hit the lotto and buy just buy a USB pre, but I I haven't got there yet. It was a splurge for me that I that I bought when I went. Um, it was maybe like a maybe like six months after I went independent. I was using the big brother of the Tascam. They have one that's four inputs, and. I traveled with it one time and it was way too big to travel with. I mean, the USB pre two, like you can put in a jacket pocket. It's not very big. And, uh, and I, I just like, this is crazy to travel with something this big. And so I, I upgraded, but, um, but we you know the audio rig has been very stable, I guess now for a couple of years, I don't really change anything with it. Um, because it works very reliably. I get, I, it's very consistent, which is what's most important to me. When you do a lot of podcast, I don't want my file to be different day to day. I want it to be, the same. So this, the, all this stuff sits out here. I never move it. If I travel, I unplug the USB pre two, and I have a separate set of cables I use in our travel pack because all these cables are like zip tied to the desk in a way that, you know, they're all nice and neat and they don't interfere with each other. Um, then I come home and I sit it down in the same place and plug everything back in. And it, it, it always sits here to the right side of my desk. Just that's where it lives. So, uh, how about the video side? Has anything changed? It has. So I started. I started the YouTube stuff with a Canon 70D, which is in a sort of a, a middle of the road DSLR. Um, I had. I've used. I had used Canon cameras since college. Actually, like 
I took like a photography class in college and my dad bought me my first DSLR as like a Canon rebel, you know, kind of the starter kit. Um, I think he was like actually from Best Buy, which is embarrassing. Um, but, uh, I loved that camera. I went to the 70 D and the 70 D for a long time was sort of the, the workhorse for a lot of people. It's really easy to use. It has great battery life. You can use really nice lenses with it. And it's, it's just a rock solid camera. They've made it for a long time. It's very consistent. Uh, but Canon has fallen behind on 4K video. Uh, you can now do 4K on a couple of their high-end models, but it comes with some trade-offs and some of their file format options and and uh, some technical stuff that's kind of boring. Their, their 4K, it, they're still behind what others are doing. And I, I when I started getting serious about YouTube, I, I wanted to start doing to start shooting in 4K is if you shoot in 4K, but then you edit in 1080, you can punch in. And so you kind of get this like cropping, these cropping options you don't get otherwise. I did one video like that. And then I said, well, forget that. I just want to release my videos in 4K. I want to future proof them. It's like, if I do an in-depth video on the Pippin, like the Pippin's not breaking news. Like there's not going to be new information about the Pippin. I want that video will, that content will be accurate for as long as it is on the internet, which hopefully is a really long time. And so why not future proof it as much as possible? And so 4k gets me there where that's the highest that's reasonable to, to edit and shoot in on a regular basis. And it looks really, really good. Uh, if someone has a 4k TV, they can watch a video in full screen and it looks crystal clear. I get a lot of pictures from people on Twitter of like my face in their living room, which is very frightening, honestly, <laughs> but, um, it looks so good. And so, uh, I wanted that, and a friend, a mutual friend of ours, was selling a Sony A7R2, uh, and he gave me a deal on it. And so I have made the switch over to Sony. Um, when you, you know, it, c- camera stuff is weird because, like, if you if you go from an iMac to a Mac Pro, you can still use your same keyboard and mouse and like all your accessories. A camera is that is not true. Your none of your batteries work. You got to have new chargers for your batteries. And the big thing that hurts is lenses. So I had I had this whole array of Canon lenses and suddenly had a Sony camera and they're they're incompatible. You can there's a product called like it's called the Metabones adapter so you can like screw on a Canon lens onto a Sony camera. And I did that for a while as a bridge cuz a I just spent basically way too, you know, like all the YouTube budget for the next 4 years I spent on this camera. Yeah. It's, um, it's not good. it's not a profitable operation exactly yet. No, well, no, it's not. But um, that's okay. All the Mac Power users listeners are going to subscribe. It'll get fixed. Yeah, which I appreciate. Um and so the the adapter let me it gave me some time um and when you adapt there's a, there's a ton of trade-offs. It's kind of clunky. Autofocus sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. You lose certain controls. And so over time, uh, I have sold off my Canon lenses and replaced them with some Sony lenses. And and now that everything is Sony, it all works together really well. And um, I've been really happy with it. This camera is, I, th- I think I wrote in, in a 512 Pixels thing, it's probably my favorite piece of tech that I bought this year, or now last year. That's, that's a real, I mean, that's a real impressive camera. It's it's crazy good. It shoots beautiful video, and I do a lot of photography. And the A7, the R series, is a really good still camera as well. And so I've shot some. Of, I've shot the prettiest photos I ever have on this camera, and then I can put it on my tripod at home and plug a microphone into it and do a video about the G4 Cube, all with the same 
the same camera that's pretty small and compact. And um, I'm just a huge fan. Sony has totally won me over. I know it's a lot of people on YouTube have moved to it um, or moved to different Sony products here and there. Uh, and they're they're really they're on fire. They're on point with their camera gear. And uh, I've been I've been just so happy with the purchase. It seems like there's a lot of disruption in Canon and the camera industry. You know, it used to be Canon or Nikon, but now there's a lot of players. Yeah, Panasonic's out there too. Uh, uh, some vloggers like Panasonic because they they're screen they shoot 4K, but they have screens that flip around so you can see yourself. The Sony's don't do that, so I have to use a monitor so I can I can frame and reference everything. Um, but it's uh, there's a lot of good options, and, and honestly, I mean your iPhone shoots 4K. I mean some of my videos, if I have a second camera. Uh, angle it's my iphone and a glyph on a tripod because it shoots 4k and you know it's not as pretty as what the sony can do but it's totally passable for youtube and uh it just it's amazing i mean how far this stuff has come in even the last couple of three years that just kind of tells me that you're really in it with the youtube i mean if you once you buy that camera you're not you're not this isn't a hobby anymore really yeah yeah it's it's uh this it's a big boy toy and i you know it, what's nice i think the best it's true in podcasting gear too the best gear purchases push us to get to be better, right? Like I want to understand and, and use this equipment because uh, it will make me it will make me better and it will make my content better. And uh, this camera has done that for me. I mean, I I've learned a lot. Uh, I've, I've I'm, you know, making a lot of mistakes and like reshooting stuff because I maybe sometimes further out ahead than my skills. But it's uh it's been fun to sort of have that experience again with a piece of technology that honestly I haven't had in a long time, you know, new iOS or new Mac or new iPad. Like I know all that stuff, but to have something land in my lap that, okay, I don't understand this and I need to, and it's going to, it's going to bend me to its will has been, it's been a lot of fun as a nerd to get to know this new system. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Timing, the automatic time tracking application for Mac OS. I'm so glad to have these guys as a sponsor. I love this application, Timing. Have you ever spent all day in front of your Mac only to wonder where all that time has gone? Or maybe you've tried to bill a client but struggled to figure out exactly how much time you spent working for them. If this sounds like you, then you need a time tracker. But the problem is so many time trackers rely upon you manually going and switching the timer every time the project changes. And you know what? We're human. We forget to do that and the data becomes junk. But timing is different. Timing automatically tracks how you spend your time. It logs which app you use, which websites you visit, and which documents you edit letting you easily categorize your activities in the projects. Now, if you spend your time in front of a Mac, you are going to love this application. Timing is easy and fuss-free, and better still, your data isn't uploaded to anyone's server. It stays safe on your Mac at all times. Now, I've been going through this kind of productivity crisis the last six months where I'm trying to figure out how to get more efficient, and timing has been an essential tool for me. I've been using it to look at how I'm spending my time in front of my Mac, and you know what? I found things uh, using timing that I'm doing that I don't want to do anymore that I can offload to other people, and now I know exactly how much time I'm spending doing those things. So it's giving me a really efficient way to get those big time sucks out of my life and somewhere else, or maybe even just get rid of those tasks. Timing is super easy to install and use. You just set up the application and it goes. They're so confident that you'll love their fuss-free approach. They offer a totally free trial. Now head to timingapp.com to try it out today. Can you tell that I love this app, by the way? And, and once you decide to purchase, use the code 
MPU to save 20%. That's for a limited time, so get over there and use it. And once you start using timing to catch those unproductive hours, it'll end up paying for itself. So stop guessing how you spend your time and instead focus on doing what you're good at. Go to timingapp.com to get your copy of Timing today. So Stephen, it is the start of a new year, um, start of 2018. And I, I guess since we have you here and you are the specialist of, of all things Mac related, what do we think is, is going to happen with, with Apple and their hardware in 2018? I know, I know the, the new Mac iMac Pro just came out. Is, is there an iMac Pro in your future? That's a complicated question. Uh, I, I, I don't think we're going to see any tangerine colored computers again, which makes my heart sad because I love orange computers. But um, the, yeah, the iMac Pro is, is really impressive. And when they announced it at WBDC, uh, I probably said out loud, that's my next computer. Because I, I was on a late 2015 5K iMac, which I, was a great computer. Is that not your current computer? Yeah, well, we're getting there. Oh, 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 okay. All right. Well, I haven't spoiled the surprise yet. I've, I've said it elsewhere. Um, but the, the late 2015 struggled with 4K video. Uh, 4K video is just a lot of data. And Final Cut is like tuned. Final Cut, is which I edit in, is so great. But even in Final Cut, the 4K video really hit this computer hard. And um, so I held off and I said, hey, I'm going to do I'm going to do the iMac Pro at the end of the year. And they announced the pricing. And even though we knew the starting point, like in my mind, I was going to do the 10 core with probably, you know, 64 gigs of RAM, you know, upgraded a little bit. But very quickly, that became a very expensive computer. Even the baseline was probably a little out of range for, for what I could do at the time. And I, I kind of was in the point, a lot of people are in, like I kind of need to do something at the end of the year. Um, the 4k video was just really frustrating to edit. And that was sort of, I, I wanted to shoot more videos, but I knew that the editing was going to, was just going to be a lot of waiting. And that was frustrating and, and, you know, kind of pending that. Um, but Which is the, the perfect excuse to spend eight grand on an iMac Pro. Yeah, well, if if you got the eight grand, <laughs> more power to you. Um, and I could I could have done the base model, um, but instead, what I did, I, I made a you know because I like structured data, right? I made a spreadsheet. I was like, here are all the specs, here are the prices, and I I could do a loaded 2017 regular iMac for several thousand dollars less, and it was still enough of an upgrade that. The 4K video is much better um, and it's much faster. My late 2015 was sort of like mid to high range. It wasn't fully maxed out. And so that also, you know, uh, the thing that really held me back is I had the i5 and this new one's got the i7. So I get double the thread count, uh, which is huge. And uh, so I, I decided to do the the high end, like basically maxed out regular 27 inch iMac. I, you know, I think that's the right answer for, for honestly, most people. I, we've, we've got a lot of emails from listeners that are, are weighing this. And, and I guess if money's no object, get the sexy iMac pro. I don't look, I, I've blown money on much stupider things than an <laughs> iMac pro in my life. But the, uh, but really, if you want to look for the bang for your buck, you can do really good with just a standard 5k iMac. Oh yeah. It's, it's so powerful. And what it's going to let me do is it's going to buy me some time and I want to see where they take the iMac pro. Uh, it's still very new hardware. It's still very early days. You know, um, I'm usually not one to like worry about first gen Apple hardware, but there's a lot of new stuff in that computer. And 
what I value most out of my production computer is reliability and uh, it it being predictable. <laughs> and the Mac and the Mac Pro is around the corner, and we have no idea what that's going to be. We have no point. idea, and I. I kind of hope, I don't know if I'll get it or not, I kind of hope that the entry-level Mac Pro is cheaper than the entry-level iMac Pro. That used to used to be the case where you get a, iMac, a, a Mac Pro Tower, the cheese grater, for like 2500 bucks, and then upgrade it as you go. And if that's the case, the Mac Pro would be would be very attractive to me and, and in, my, in my needs and, and use case. Um, but this computer will hold me over easily a year, probably two. And I just want to, I just want to give Apple a little time to see, okay, you've done the iMac pro. It looks awesome. And people seem really happy with them, but I want to see where this goes. I want to make sure that this machine is okay. In the long term. I want to see what the Mac pro is like. I want to see, are you going to upgrade the iMac pro again? Or are you going to, you know, where are we where? Cause 2017, 2016, if we remember back that far, there was a lot of pro Mac user angst about Mac hardware, and that was totally justified. 2017 was Apple starting to fix it, but 2018 is going to be chapter two of that story. And I want to see what chapter two says before jumping in. And so if this iMac is going to hold me over. Um, I spent a lot less money than I could have, and uh, and I'm really happy with it. You know, I love the all-in-one. I love the, the big 5K display, um, and this one's just way faster than my old one. So I think I'm going to be set for a while. Yeah, I was going to say that they really have to deliver with the Mac Pro external monitor because the 5K ruins you, ruins you for life. <laughs> I, I, I go to a friend's homes and look at their computers and I just, the screen just, it just hurts. I, I, <laughs> I, it just ruins you. It does. Yeah. The other thing is now when you say loading up, are you putting a big enough F- SSD in it? Uh, yeah, so so I have a um, I've got a Drobo on my network, so I I've got the one terabyte SSD, and right now it has four hundred and ninety four gigs free. Um, so you know what's on my machine is my Apple Music library, my Photos library, a ton of stuff in Dropbox. But as far as like active media projects, it's really the only you know the one or two three two three things I'm editing at a time, and then things get shoved off to the Drobo, and so I don't you know I don't have the big SSD. But, you know, the big GPU, the i7, um, I opted for, I did the 8 gig RAM from Apple, but I added 32 from OWC. So I've got 40 gigs total RAM. It'll it'll see up to 64, but 40 is more than I had, and it's really fast. So and, and this machine is upgradable. Yes, it has a RAM door on the back, so I can change it later if I want to, unlike the iMac Pro. And it's really not that expensive if you do it through OWC. So, you know, you can go nuts with it. I, I guess that's my point to people when they tell me they want to buy the Mac Pro. I say, that's fine. But, you know, if you're if you're having to shave features on the, the iMac Pro to afford it, you know, saying, well, I can't get this because I'm already starting at five grand. Why don't you spec out an iMac, just a standard iMac with, you know, get the two terabyte SSD, go, you know, get all those fancy things and see what the price is because you may find that you actually get what you need uh, on the on the less expensive computer. T- totally. And it's, you know, you get you get all the benefits of, of the iMac, right? The thin design, the quiet use, the, you know, I like that all the ports go out the back so I don't see junk everywhere. And of course, that big, beautiful display. So I, I feel like the, the 2017 iMac, the 5K, it's kind of like the iPhone 8 right now. Like everyone is paying into the iPhone 10 and the iMac Pro because they're new and they're pretty. But that workhorse machine there, you know, that's been there the whole time, 
like it's rock solid. Like the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus are great phones. This 5K iMac is a great computer. It just lacks some of the flash of its younger sibling, but that's fine with me. You know, we, um, we uh, just, you know, when my kids were younger, we had a family computer and I kept it in a public place in the house, which was, uh, I, in hindsight, a real smart move. Um, so the, um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, what about the Mac mini? I know that you're a Mac mini fan. Do you think there's any hope for it this year? I hope so. You know, we've got one. Um, I've got a, like a 2011 it's under our TV. It's with the Drobo is hooked up to over Thunderbolt and it runs like the family iTunes library and some other stuff. Um, I love the Mac mini, uh, relay has got one at Mac stadium that does our live stream. It's a quad core 2011 with an SSD in it. It's a killer machine still. I hope that Apple does something with it. You know, there's been so much rhetoric from Tim Cook that it's an important part of our lineup. And I got to think they're going to do something um, just because it if the if the Mac mini started at eight hundred dollars or even seven hundred dollars, I would say, well, you know, the iMac starts at whatever it is, eleven hundred. Maybe they could bring the iMac down to a thousand or even nine ninety nine, like a, a you know stripped down model. Maybe that's enough. It still doesn't solve the problem, though. Yeah, and the Mac Mini is so cheap, but more critically, you can put it anywhere. And you know, the Mac Mini started life as the the switcher Mac. So hey, I have a Dell Tower. I'm done with that. Unplug all your Dell stuff, your monitor, your keyboard and mouse. Plug it into the Mac Mini. Sit the Mac Mini on top of the the unplugged Dell, and you've got a Mac. And I still think there are people who use the Mac. I, th- I still think the Mac Mini could serve that function. I think the iMac is probably taking that over, or honestly, laptops have taken that over. But Ma- the Mac Mini as like a home computer or an entertainment center computer, like lots of people like them, and I, and I know people who have them as their main computer because they're small and that's what they want. It just it, it fulfills options that nothing else does. Or just the utility Mac, you know, it's, it's a utility. You can use it in so many ways that just don't, no other Mac really works for. You know, I, I run my entire law practice off a mid 2011 Mac mini. Uh, I, I originally bought that machine when I uh, cut the cable cause I was going to use it as a whole Mac media, mini media center. And then when I got my Synology, I, I moved a lot of that into Plex and, and over there and when I was starting my law practice, you know, I, you don't want to spend any penny that you absolutely don't have to. And I was like, well, I got this Mac mini that I'm really not using for a whole lot of stuff. And I just took it and wiped it and, uh, you know, took a monitor that I already had and put with it with a keyboard and mouse. And I, I'm still I, I have since upgraded the monitor, but that that's what I'm running, you know, ran my law practice on. So and I'll I'll replace it at some point, but it's a great machine for the type of stuff that I'm doing. I mean, Apple does a lot of smart stuff and there's a lot of people there way smarter than I am, but I just shake my head sometimes when I look at something like the Mac mini, I mean, they got like a gazillion dollars in the bank. Why can't they just say once a year, we're going to upgrade the chips, you know, do a speed bump and just keep pushing these Mac minis out. It just seems to me like something that, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's that difficult, but maybe I'm missing something. The Mac mini is kind of, kind of the last part of like the Mac hardware angst of 2016. Cause that, you know, that would have been two years and uh, it's, it's maybe it's chapter three in that story of Apple kind of paying attention to the desktop Macs again. And it, it could go away, right? Like we could wake up tomorrow and it's gone. But I, I think that enough customers are passionate about it and it's still around clear for a reason. Uh, and it fulfills a bunch of needs and a price point that nothing else gets close to. Um, 
so yeah, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to replace the one under my TV, you know, I'd love to replace the one at Mac stadium with something new <laughs> with a warranty on it, but uh, I can't yet. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, if they do upgrade it, it's going to be something like it's a hockey puck, like an Apple TV puck. Uh, size Mac, but that almost to me is not as good because, you know, we want the ability to hang drives off the back of it and maybe, you know, get Katie's spatula and pry it open and put some, you know, memory in it or whatever. You uh, need two spatulas to do that. Okay. One well, whatever. Yeah. But the, uh, I, I don't know that that would be an improvement, but whatever, I guess we'll find out. But what about software? Uh, where do you see the Mac software heading this year? You know, <laughs> there was that story a couple of weeks ago about Maybe Apple doing some crazy stuff with iOS and macOS apps. I don't know what, that, what I don't know what's going to come of that. So we're just going to leave that aside. <laughs> Pretend that never happened. Um, but you know, High Sierra. I think a lot of us, including myself, this was like my hook in my review was High Sierra's promises to be Snow Leopard 2.0. I'm not quite sure they've done that. High Sierra has been problematic for some people. Um, the APFS transition was fine if you had an SSD, but a bunch of other people got left behind. Uh, I think it's think it's been a little a little rougher than I hoped it was going to be this year with Mac software. Now, Apple's apps are solid. Like Final Cut and Logic feel pretty good. Uh, the built-in apps are all good. I'm actually using Safari for the first time in years because like I've been using Chrome and I haven't been paying attention to Safari and it's gotten pretty good and, and really fast. So I've been using Safari for the last three or four months. And for your laptop, super battery efficient. So, yeah, that's actually where it started. I was like, why is my battery so bad? Um, Chrome. But uh, High Sierra hasn't, I don't think it's quite delivered on that promise. Um, it's not to say that High Sierra is a bad release or that you should skip it or that you should hold off of it. But it's, um, I think maybe we had, some of us had really like built it up that it was going to be, you know, really rock solid. And it's just not for some users under some circumstances, but they're getting there. Katie and I were talking on the New Year's show how we would like Apple to just go back on the two-year release cycle for Mac OS. I would too. I'm definitely in that camp. And there's, you know, the reason, assumedly the reason they went annual was so they could tie iOS stuff to it. So something like handoff and continuity between whatever it was, iOS 8 and El Capitan or whatever was out that year. Um, I understand that. But A, you don't have that every year. Really, that was the biggest example of it, I think. You know, uh, Sierra and High Sierra, they didn't like come out like hand in hand with an iOS feature. Uh, so I think years that that's not the case, like I think it's fine to slow it down. You don't have to do two years. You can do 18 months. Like Mac OS, barring any crazy API stuff that's barreling towards us this year, um, I don't even know if it needs stage time at WDC every year. Like if it's, if it's a stable release or if it's, you know, look at something like what Windows, like Microsoft is doing with Windows 10. Windows 10 is going to be a long-term release for them. And every eight, nine, 10 months, they have what they used to call service packs and they have fancier marketing names now, but where they fix a bunch of bugs and add a bunch of features and turn a bunch of things on. And I think the Mac would be, would be good with that. You know, that there would be people who would complain that, you know, oh my gosh, Apple's slowing down on the Mac. They're forgetting about the Mac. I would view that. And I think anyone who were paying, really paying attention I think we would view that as Apple is being more deliberate with the Mac and they're slowing it down because it's a mature platform. You know, OS 10 at this point uh, is 17 years old. You know, it's out and driving and looking at colleges next spring. It's It's been around a long time. I mean, just sitting here, what's the major feature that we need? I, I can't think of it. Beats one. me, man. I don't know. Better mail.app. 
I would go with that. Yeah. But, but um, see, that's not necessarily an, an iOS up, or an, an OS upgrade. I mean, that, yeah, they could, that, they could separate even that, right. Where they could say, Hey, you know, this, this fall updates got, you know, new stuff for mail contacts and calendars or, um, you know, Hey, iOS is doing this stuff. So we're going to rev the whole OS so we can do all this continuity and new networking stuff. I mean, they could think they could treat it differently at different times. Um, and you know, Katie, I agree with you. A lot of the built-in apps need some attention, but there's nothing saying like, like when they, when they launched mail.app, whenever it was 10.1, maybe it was with the original one, you know, uh, Mail became part of the OS in a way. It's not structurally part of the OS. It's an app on top of the operating system, but they ship it with OS features. And that's fine, but maybe the, maybe that time has passed. You know, maybe it's time that, hey, if the mail team is doing something really awesome and it can run on 10.13, you know, why not ship it now? Why wait to 10.14? You know, the, the Photos app was like that. The Photos app started life mid-cycle and it got better you know, six months later with a, with a new OS, but you, Apple doesn't have to marry those things, you know, unless there's technical reasons behind the scenes. So I'd like to see them rethink some of that and, and treat the Mac. You don't have to treat it the same way you treat iOS. And, uh, I think maybe it could benefit from that, but who knows? Steven, I don't want to let you go. I know we were a little over, sorry, gang. Uh, but I, I don't want to let you go because you're such a Mac guy. Tell me a couple of your favorite Mac apps and utilities that you're using these days. Boy, um, you know, uh, there, there, there are a few that have really, you know, sprung up really recently for me, you know, that were, um, I feel like my Mac toolbox was really stable for a really long time. Um, the big one for me, and it is podcasting centric, so forgive me, it's not, you know, sort of mass market, but, uh, Marco Arment has uh, a little Mac app called forecast that you can use to put chapters in a podcast. Uh, I use it to convert a wave. So I export out of logic as a wave file, which is huge, sometimes multi-gig uncompressed file. Um, and you can compress that to MP3 with forecast. So if you're, if you're making podcasts, um, it's free, like totally free. There's no strings attached. Um, I've been using it for like a year and a half in beta. And, um, I know a lot of people are using it now, now that it's public. So if you make podcast forecast uh, by Marco, is really fantastic. We use it every week in the show. Are you guys are you guys using that? Because the show has chapter markers. Is that what Mark's using? Do you know? Yeah, we we use Forecast to do the um the chapter markers in our show. Yeah, it really is great. He he has it multi threaded, so it's super fast. And uh, that's one that you know I was doing podcasts a certain way for years, and it just totally changed my workflow for the better. Um, uh, uh another one I'm using that is a it's just a small little menu bar utility. Um, it's open source. You can download it as an app bundle, but when you install it, it says, Hey, this isn't signed, but, um, it's called high Sierra media key enabler, not a great name, but the name does, the name says what it does. So in high Sierra, Apple changed. So if you look at your keyboard, F7, F8 and F9 are media transport keys. So, you know, back a track, play, pause and forward track. Uh, basically since the beginning of time, those controlled iTunes no matter what app you were in or what else was going on on your computer. In High Sierra, other apps can hijack those buttons. So if you're watching a video in Safari or something in TweetBot, control of iTunes can be ceded to those other those other apps. Yeah, whatever the whatever the media is playing in, the, in what the computer considers to be the front window is what it controls. Yeah, And I understand that, but I can't process it like it has broken my brain that this button doesn't control itunes regardless of, of what's going on so this is a little menu bar app it sits in the menu bar and it basically watches for those keys 
and basically like hard routes them to iTunes. There are a couple other ways to do this. I saw someone doing it with a keyboard maestro, I believe, but um, it is uh, you know it's a little little mini bar app that that has made working in High Sierra every day uh, a little more manageable for me because I just found it frustrating, right? Like someone send something in iMessage and then I can't pause my music an hour later because iMessage is the foremost application at the moment. Like I had trouble keeping up with what it was trying to do. Oh yeah. It doesn't work for me either. Like, cause I, I listen to music all day or quite often when I can, uh, when I'm sitting at my iMac and then a client calls or something and I hit the pause button on my keyboard and the music doesn't stop playing, but a YouTube video starts playing. And this I pick up the phone and now I have music and video going on in the background. Sounds like I'm in a party or something. Yeah, it's it's really um, saved me from a lot of that frustration. And I, I keep iTunes in its own space. Like I run it full screen off to the side. And so I can't even quickly get to it if I need to like, you know, like the phone is ringing or, or something I need to pick up. Um, so that's been a real like it's just a small thing, but it makes it a lot easier to use. Those are good picks. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you again on episode 512 a couple of years from now. We've got it down. That's the earliest booking in the history of the show, two years in advance. You know, episode 512 doesn't come around very often. You know, it's, I get I get May 12th or, you know, I guess if you're not here, December 5th is 512 day. So I get, I get two of those. Um, so it, it seems like the episode number seems like that works out well. It's all yours, brother. All yours. <laughs> Well, we'll have people check out all of your content over at 512 Pixels, as well as your your YouTube videos, and we'll have links to all of those in the, the show notes. You got anything else going on you want to talk about? You know, I'm on a bunch of shows on Relay. Um, so I've got, you know, four shows. I help with a couple more. Uh, so definitely, if you if you like nerdy content, uh, there's a whole lot of more stuff there to check out. Hey, hey one I'd like to partic- particular point listeners to is Liftoff. It's with Jason Snell, and it's all about space. They do a great job because I don't, I, I've always been interested, but I don't know all the details. And these guys do a great job of bringing even a dummy like me up to speed. It's great. It's a, it's a, that, that show is a lot of fun because everything else I do revolves around Apple for the most part. And to, to like take a break from that. And like, I just love working with Jason, but to, to be able to like, Hey, we're going to talk about the politics of like going back to the moon versus going to Mars. Like, like you, I'm interested in it, but um, I found, you know, that it was kind of hard to get into. So we have a lot of fun making that show, and uh, it's, it's, it's just great. Well, thanks all for joining us for yet another year, and thanks to our sponsors, Smile, Fracture, Postbox, and Timing, and we will see you all next week. 